good morning. My name is Zeb, and I'm one of the pastors here at Highlands. And if I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you in the lobby after the service is over today. Pastor Nate and some of our elders are with uh, Pastor Evan at his home church in Spokane this morning, as Pastor Evan is officially ordained into gospel ministry. So be sure to celebrate that with him when he comes back. We would clap for him right now, but he's not here. Um, Maybe we can clap for him anyway. Uh, How about that? So we're looking forward to uh, celebrating with him when he returns today. Today, we're back in the book, the small book of Jude in your Bible. And uh, there are Bibles there in the seats in front of you. If you want to grab one of those and turn with us to Jude, it's just a small little book before your, the last book of your Bible, the book of Revelation. So it's on pa- page 1088 in the Bible there in the seats in front of you. That's where we're going to be today is in this small book of Jude. Snow was falling heavier and heavier as the day progressed into night. And as the winter storm made its way through the forest, the cold was biting and the wind was whipping. And there, small campfires dotted the landscape of the forest as soldiers huddled around trying to stay warm. And this unit had been sent to the forest to rest and recoup and also to break in hundreds of soldiers who were brand new to the war. And soon the sound of heavy machinery broke the silence and explosions rocked the winter landscape there in the Ardennes forest as the best German panzer division in the army made their advance against these inexperienced and tired American soldiers in December of 1944, what we now know as the Battle of the Bulge. And these German soldiers surrounded quickly the American soldiers or pushed them back. And as a part of this offensive, Hitler himself had uh, commissioned a special commando unit led by a man named Otto Skorzeny. And Otto recruited a group of soldiers from the German army who knew English, who knew how to speak uh, in English and American idioms as best as they could know. And this small group of German soldiers wore American uniforms and drove allied marked vehicles and carried American weapons and infiltrated the enemy lines. And their whole goal as a group of soldiers was to cause confusion, to spread misinformation, to change road signs and just just be a, a nuisance behind the battle lines as the Germans made their advance and last hope uh, to split the allied forces and at least regain some of the ground that they had lost. Rumors of these spies and infiltrators quickly spread through the ranks of the American soldiers. And they then responded by quickly creating a set and a series of trivia questions uh, to ask their fellow soldiers to make sure that uh, we knew that we were on the same team. And as you can imagine, this uh, just disarray that is confusion that's taking place amongst the American soldiers as they aren't sure if the person next to them is actually American or not. And as they began to fight back and to respond to the German attack, they had these questions created and pretty soon uh, they, were, they were stopping a whole entire uh, units from traveling to different places until they could make sure that they were on the same team. And uh, at least two American generals were held up by cautious and eager GIs who wanted to make sure that they were who they said they were. 
and including Brigadier, uh, Brigadier General Bruce Clark. He was held at gunpoint uh, by American soldiers after incorrectly giving an answer to one of the questions, which was, uh, which league are the Chicago Cubs in? If you were anything like me, under pressure, I mean, I don't know, I'm just going to say an answer. And he said the wrong answer. And so they held him at gunpoint uh, temporarily until uh, he could actually prove uh, that he was who he said he was. Thankfully, the confusion and paranoia were ultimately unsuccessful uh, over a long period of time as the American soldiers were able to rally and push back the German troops and, and ultimately win the war against the Axis powers. However, this tactic of infiltration and confusion is one that our enemy still uses today and is very, very good at using this tactic of infiltration and confusion. As Josh uh, shared last week, as we look at this small letter from uh, a man named Jude, we are in a battle. We saw last week that we are to contend for the faith, which is a, a military or competitive term, a wrestling term. We are locked in a battle, a conflict. And Jude is writing to us, uh, appealing to us to fight and contend for our faith. And this war is a spiritual one. It's filled with powers of darkness and angels of light. And this war is one, we are saved and rescued from the waters, not by a cruise ship filled with pleasures and programs for the rest of our days, but we are rescued from the water by a warship. The master of the sea reaches down and rescues us, and then we are pressed into combat. You see, we are not here as Christians to enjoy the Christian life for the rest of our days until we go to heaven. We are here locked in a battle with the enemy over the souls of those that are around us. This is not necessarily going to be an easy message to preach this morning, but it's what I have in front of us to preach today. So that's what you're gonna get, okay? But this is what I want us to understand. It's, it's gonna be a little bit of a sobering thought this morning and a sobering message. And that is we are in a battle. We are in a war, we are in a conflict. And there are clear enemies on the horizon and in the water. And as we began to see last week, and as what Jude shows us today, there are dangers to be aware of inside the boat as well. Not only are there enemies outside and around us that we can see, but there are also enemies within as well. Looking back at one of the verses that we saw last week in verse number four, notice what verse four tells us. There were some people who were designated for this judgment long ago who have come in by, what's the word there? Stealth, okay? In the CSB, it uses the word stealth. These people, other versions like to say they wormed their way in or they secretly slipped into the ranks of the church. And these people who have snuck in by stealth are secretly twisting God's grace, and so this is what Jude is trying to warn his readers about as he writes to them in this letter. And he's writing, as Josh said last week, to predominantly a Jewish audience. And these are people that as he's writing to them, he knows that they understand the examples that he's going to give here in just a moment. And so he begins to uh, use several illustrations and examples from Old Testament and popular first century Hebraic literature 
to make his point. Now, we won't have time to chase all of these rabbits this morning, okay? And there are several of them that we could spend time chasing. Um, but I wanted to give you a cheat sheet, maybe for those of you who are intrigued by studying these out on your own. And so on the screen behind me, and also there is a card that we've made up uh, that ha have all of these references on them that you can pick up after the service is over today for your own personal study time this week. Um, but here we see a number of examples where Jude goes back to Old Testament stories and, and popular Jewish literature to make the point that he's trying to make here to warn us and to uh, uh, let us know to be careful and to watch for those who might sneak in and ultimately twist God's grace. And I'll just run through these really quickly here while we're looking at them. In verse number five, Jude reminds us of the disobedient children of Israel the disobedient children of Israel, we can see that story in Numbers 14. And then in verse number six, he, he reminds us of the rebellious angels, the sons of God that are referenced in Genesis chapter six, that ultimately God cast out of heaven. And then in verse number seven, he reminds us of the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, which can be found in Genesis 18. And then in verse number nine, he, he gives a, a story that would have, that doesn't appear in our Bible, but is a, a popular Jewish story about the body over the, uh, uh, I'm sorry, the battle over the body of Moses um, that we see in, in Moses' death in, in Deuteronomy 34. And then in Jude 1 and verse 11, we see the way of Cain described in Genesis 4 and Balaam's error in Numbers 22 through 24 and the rebellion of Korah in Numbers 16. And then finally, the, the judgment of the ungodly that is pronounced uh, by Jude here. He's quoting from the book of First Enoch, which is again, not in our Bible, but would have been uh, Jewish literature of the day that, that uh, Jude is using here to make his point um, about the judgment that is reserved for the ungodly. So pick that up, take a picture of this if you haven't already. You can search those out for your own, uh, on your own time this week. We don't have time to chase those today, but I want you to notice in verse number five here as we begin to move along in the verses that we have in front of us. In verse number five, we see the, the language that Jude uses here is the language of a reminder. Jude, Jude writes this in verse number five. I want to remind you I want to remind you of these things. And I don't know if you're anything like me, um, but if somebody tells you something or asks you to do something, uh, how many of you forget if you don't create a reminder or you don't write it down or you don't you know, take out your phone or you ask Siri or Alexa? Just making sure there's no Alexa devices in the room right now. Uh, you just ask Siri or Alexa to, make, to, to give you a reminder, right? Uh, if you're anything like me, it's helpful to have those kinds of things to remind you to do the things that you need to do. And that's what, what Jude is trying to do right now. He is writing to remind us of these things, to watch out, to be aware, to be sober, and to be vigilant about the enemy that might be within us. And Jude wants us, as, as we're looking at this today, it's almost like our church is coming together, uh, reading this letter from Jude. It's the huddle before we run a play. It's the huddle before we go do what we're supposed to do. It's, it's the operation briefing before we go into battle. It's the project meeting before the project begins. It's the consultation before the makeover. Okay, so in a moment, I thought you might get a kick out of that. Okay, I was trying to, I was trying to give examples for everybody, okay, to understand. <laughs> My wife is laughing, so that's, that's a blessing. <laughs> Thank you, appreciate that, courtesy laugh. So, this is, this is why we're here. Before we go out into battle today, and we are going out into battle, 
We need to be reminded of the things that we need to know so that we can be sober and be aware of what the enemy is trying to do and the, and the fight that he is trying to take to us. Not only that, not only do we see a reminder here from Jude, but we also learn about God. We learn something about God in verse number five. Look what it says here. He says, I wanna remind you, although you came to know all these things once and for all, that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt, and he did, he later destroyed those who did not believe. And I think this is key to helping us understand why Jude is writing this letter to the church in the first century. It's key to understand because these people who were sneaking in by stealth and slipping into the church were twisting the grace of God into, I'm gonna use an old King James word, lasciviousness, right? They were uh, this, this idea of just uh, a license to live however you want to live. And our God is a God of love and mercy and patience and compassion. But at the same time, God is a God of righteousness and holiness and judgment. And so often we wanna pick and choose the things that we believe about God and create this image of the God that we want to serve and the God that we want to follow. And, and we forget about the side of things that maybe isn't quite so much fun to think about. But it's this idea that God takes very seriously rebellion and disobedience, and he will reserve judgment for those who seek to twist and disregard his principles and his command. God has orchestrated a divine order and anything that goes outside of those bounds of his design is sin. And so God reserves the right to bring judgment upon those who seek to rebel against his design and distort his grace. And sometimes we see here in these verses that we're going to read today that sometimes that judgment is immediate and other times that judgment is reserved for the end of time. And Jude gives us three examples here that I wanna walk through really quickly in verses five through seven to, that we can learn from. These things are written for our learning. Right? These are examples for us to learn from so that we don't have to learn the hard way, but we can learn from those who have walked before us. So what should we take away from these three examples? In verse number five, we've already read it. The children of Israel ultimately disbelieved in God's promise that he would deliver the promised land to them. If you remember the story back in Numbers, the children of Israel have come up to the edge of the promised land and they're now on the very brink of walking into the promise that God has for them, a land of promise, a land flowing with milk and honey. They send the spies into the land to figure out if it's, uh, if it's doable and, and what the strategy needs to be. And the spies come back. And if you remember when you were a kid, maybe in, in Bible school like I was, 10 were, only two people remember, 10 were bad and two were Nobody sang that song except me? Okay. <laughs> the spies come back and they basically give a bad report to the nation of Israel. And the people respond by saying, we can't do this. God's not going to help us. There's no way that we can defeat the giants that are there and the walled cities and the fortifications and all of this. And the promises that God had for his people were not acted upon because they didn't believe that God would ultimately bring his promise to pass. And I wanna ask you this question this week, right now today, what, what promises are you not believing and claiming? 
because you don't believe God can provide or protect or bring the victory in your life? What promises are you and I not believing, not claiming, because we just don't truly believe that God can do it. In my seminary class earlier this week, my professor was brought to our attention that the sin of the people of Israel here in Numbers that Jude is referencing is a rejection of the promise that God would be with them and help them conquer the land that he was going to give them. And then he said this, that same promise that Jesus, it's the same promise that Jesus gave his disciples in the end of Matthew 28, when he gave them his great commission. What did he say at the end of that? Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus says, I know the commission that I've been giving you. I know the, the plan that I want you to fulfill. I know the conquest that, it, that lies in front of you. It's the same conquest that the children of Israel were, were standing there looking out into the promised land and chose not to believe that God would be with them that every step of the way, God would fight their battles for them. And the same is true of us, I think, today. God has given us marching orders. God has given us a battle plan, and that is to make disciples of every nation on earth. And so often we choose not to because we, we forget that God has promised to be with us always to the end of the age. All right, I'm gonna stop preaching and I'm gonna keep moving. Verse number six, verse number six, Jude says this, and the angels who did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling, he is kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on the great day. Here we see that idea that God has reserved judgment for these rebellious angels who rebelled against God's authority and perverted their position as angelic beings. They, they committed treason against God and humanity. Here's the question for us this morning. What, have, what has God designed that we are rebelling against or rejecting? What has God designed for us that we just, we just don't want to accept? We don't want to fall in line with what God has designed. Verse number seven, likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve as an example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Here we see immediate judgment delivered by God in the, in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah because they rejected his design for humanity and they lived lawlessly and without regard for God or his design, his principles. The question for us this morning is this, are there areas of our life that we don't want to submit to God? God has clearly laid it out for us and given us the boundaries that we are supposed to, to live in and to play in. And yet so often we choose to go outside of those. And there are certain areas of our life that we allow to go outside of the bounds of his design. What are those things? Because the devil wants nothing more than to deceive us into thinking that we're okay. Yea, hath God said, did God really say that that was off limits? You see, the devil has been deceiving from the very beginning, from the very beginning. And so Jude is telling us that we need to be aware and vigilant and watchful because we can be deceived just like those that have gone before us have been deceived by the enemy. The devil will lie to us. He will deceive us. And ultimately his goal is to knock us out of the battle if we are not sober-minded. 
And we need to be careful not to be deceived, but we also need to be aware of deceivers. And that's the big idea this morning is that there are two things that we need to be watching out for. We need to watch out that we ourselves are not deceived and we also need to be aware of those who are trying to deceive us. Be aware of being deceived and the deceivers. And so we read here as we move along in these verses, uh, in verse number eight, Jude refers to these people. And we're gonna see this pop up again and again. Uh, he uses the term, these people. Look at verse number eight. In the same way, these people, these people who are infiltrating by stealth, who are slipping in uh, to the church to try to twist God's grace and to get people to uh, fall out of line of God's design. These people relying on their dreams, defile their flesh, reject authority and slander glorious ones. These deceivers we need to be aware of. They've distorted the grace of God and the teaching that Paul wrote to Titus about and that we should live in God's grace, allow God's grace to teach us. Look what it says in Titus chapter three and verse 11. It says this, for, the, uh, for you know that such a person, uh, that's not the right verse. Nope, I'm gonna read it to you. I think I put the wrong reference down there, Ed. I'm sorry, that's my fault. And I believe it's Titus chapter two and verse 11 and 12. It says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, instructing us to deny godlessness and worldly lusts and to live in a sensible, righteous and godly way in the present age. The grace of God has appeared to teach us to deny godlessness, to deny worldly lusts, to live sensible and righteous and godly. And this same thing occurs today. And the same thing that Jude is writing to warn the people uh, that he's writing to against, we have to be aware of today that there are people out there who want to abuse God's grace. They know God forgives sin. And, and so they live unrepentant lives and they presume upon the grace of God. They presume that they can live however they want to live. That's what was happening here. And that's what happens still, I believe, today. They want the benefits of being forgiven, but they want to still live however they want. God has saved me, so I'm good, right? But that's not what scripture teaches us. Paul writes that grace is to instruct us to live the way that God wants us to live, not how we want to live, not how our, our sinful fleshly desires want us to live. And so we have to embrace that love and mercy and long suffering of God and not forget that God is holy, that God is righteous, that God is just. If we are to contend for the faith, we have to be sure who we're listening to. We have to be careful of who we're following, who we're watching, who we're listening to. And there's a lot of great, incredible teachers out there that you can find online. And I, I am right there with you. I'm, I watch a lot of stuff during the week, whether it be on social media or YouTube or wherever you find it. And there's a lot of great teaching out there, but we have to be careful not to believe and listen to everything that we hear or watch. And I believe that God has placed each and every one of us in this local church for a reason and for a purpose. And God has given us incredible elders and pastors whose job is to help protect us, the flock, from being led astray by deceivers who want to come in and take away the grace that God has given us. So 
Be thankful for the pastors and elders, not me. I'm talking about everybody else. Be thankful for the pastors and elders that God has given us and and be uh, subject to them. Maybe if you have a question about something that you hear or something that you read or something that you listen to or watch, that's a great opportunity to, to, to take it to one of our leaders and to say, hey, is this in line with what God's word says? Is this okay? Is this uh, 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 something that we should be watching or listening to? That is, I think, what Jude is trying to get at here in these verses. We need to be careful of who we're following and who we're listening to. Quickly here in verse number eight, these people rely on their dreams instead of God's unchanging word. They rely on their own ideas of what God is instead of who God has said he is in his word. They reject the authority that God has given instead of accepting uh, what God has placed over them. They reject those who would try to correct them and and lead them uh, into what God has said. They defile their flesh through sexual desires. And Paul wrote very bluntly about this in 1 Corinthians chapter six. Uh, He says, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. You see, these people want to get us to understand that living outside of God's boundaries is okay, but that's not what God's word says. And so we must listen to his word and not to their ideas. Continue reading here in verse number nine. When Michael, the archangel, was disputing with the devil in an argument about Moses' body, he did not dare utter a slanderous condemnation against him, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people, there it is again, these people blaspheme anything they do not understand. And what they do understand by instinct, like irrational animals, by these things, they are destroyed. You see, these stealthy, slippery twisters of grace. They disregard through slander and blasphemy what they don't understand. You see, they're just so easily going to throw out the things that they don't understand in God's word or the things that they don't want to accept from God's word. And they're just going to try to lead us into the things that are easy or that appeal to our flesh. Now, I love the imagery that Jude uses here in the next couple of verses in verses 12 and 13. Uh, he, he's trying to paint a picture here and see if you can catch the picture that Jude is trying to paint in verses 12 and 13. Look what he says. He says, these people are dangerous reefs at your love feasts as they eat with you without reverence. They are shepherds who only look after themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds, trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. I love the imagery, the examples that Jude is giving here, because I think it helps us to see that these people, these people that Jude is trying to warn us about, they show promise or they look the part, but ultimately In reality, they are at best empty and at worst dangerous. Waterless clouds look, I mean, the clouds look like they're going to rain. Isn't that kind of Seattle a lot of the time? It looks like it's going to rain, but it doesn't actually rain. Um, But waterless clouds, it looks like we're going to receive the blessing of rain that's going to water the ground and bring forth crops, but ultimately they're empty. We see that 
their trees are fruitless. A tree that's supposed to bring forth food to eat is worthless and empty. And he talks about wild waves and dangerous reefs. Again, if you remember last time I preached, I'm not someone who's an expert in seafaring, okay? So I can't tell you exactly all of the problems, but it doesn't sound good, okay? Dangerous reefs, wild waves, uh, don't sign me up for that, okay? And so here we see what he's trying to help us understand is that what looks good is not. What looks promising is actually empty and dangerous. Wandering stars, they flash in the night and then are gone. They're useless for illumination or navigation. They're here one day and gone the next. We see here that these people, these that we're supposed to be watching out for and, and, and being vigilant against, they're trying to lead us in a way that God does not want us to follow. Now, skip down to verse number 16. We'll come back to 14 and 15 in a moment. But verse 16, Jude again says, these people are discontented grumblers living according to their desires. Their mouths utter arrogant words, flattering people for their own advantage. I mean, if you haven't caught it yet, right? Like these people, he wants us to be very aware of. Discontented grumblers, never satisfied, always complaining. He, they live by their desires. And Paul uses the terminology in Titus, the, their God is their belly. They just live according to whatever they desire. They chase after whatever fulfills them and their flesh. Their, their mouths are arrogant. They'll talk down to you, always one-upping you, making you feel less than, using people for their advantage. They're, they're using people as tools to build a platform for themselves. That's who these people are. That's who we need to watch out for. That's who we need to be careful of. And again, I wanna, I wanna encourage you with this this morning. Uh, as, as Pastor Josh mentioned last week, this is not an encouragement for you to go on a witch hunt and look around you and try to determine, okay, who in this room right now? Who do I need to be careful of? Okay, I see that guy over there. Okay, this guy. Okay, I'm just gonna watch out. That's not what this is about, okay? We need to be careful of the influences that we are listening to though. We need to be watching out for someone who is trying to twist God's word or get us to do something that's outside of God's bounds. We don't need to be fruit inspectors, but we do need to be watching out. We do need to be careful of what we're hearing and what we are learning and what we're reading and what we're watching and what we allow to influence us as the church. What's fascinating to me, and this is not in my notes, so this is a quick little rabbit trail that I'm gonna run down, okay? As I was studying for this message, it's it's, it's very fascinating to me that from, from, from the time of Jesus all the way through the, the end of the New Testament, almost every single book, I think, has a warning, if not multiple warnings, to watch out for those who want to twist the gospel, who want to uh, get you to believe something that isn't true, who want to lead you away from the truth of God's word and from God's design and from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so if it's true in the first century, it has to be still true in the 21st century. We have to be aware and careful and vigilant because our adversary, the devil, he is walking about seeking whom he may devour. That's you and me. 
He wants to take us out. He wants to destroy us. He wants to destroy our witness. He wants to destroy our effectiveness. He wants to destroy the dreams that God has placed in our hearts and the promise that God wants us to achieve and the thing that he wants us to go after. The devil wants nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy. So we must be aware of his devices. That's what Jude is talking about. That's the message that we see from these verses. The judgment that awaits unrepentant sinners, including these people that Jude writes about, was intended to motivate his readers to avoid these false teachers and remain committed to the faith that, jo that Josh talked about last week, the, the faith that we are to contend for. Notice what it says in verse 14. It was about these that, uh, that Enoch in the seventh generation from Adam prophesied, look, the Lord comes with tens of thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly concerning all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way and concerning all the harsh things ungodly sinners have said against him. There's a strong warning here of judgment. Why would Jude tell us that? Why would Jude uh, implore us to be mindful of the judgment for the ungodly? It's to warn us of the coming judgment that is for those who reject God's grace, who reject God's design. Now, I want us to do a little Bible study here in the last couple of minutes that we have together. So turn back a couple of pages to your left to 2 Peter chapter two. Just a couple of pages over to your left. You're gonna flip through the books of, of first and second, third John and get to Peter. Look at 2 Peter chapter two and verse 17. Here's what's uh, another fascinating point. Peter's writing here, very similar warning as Jude. It's almost like they had a common source. Anybody with me? Okay. It's almost like they had the same person helping them write. <laughs> okay. So here we see Peter giving a very similar warning to those that he's writing to. Just look what he says here in verse 17 of second Peter two. These people, Okay, he's talking about the same people that Jude is talking about. These people are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. The gloom of darkness has been reserved for them. For by uttering boastful, empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. You see, these people are preying upon immature Christians, trying to get them to believe and follow something that they should not be following. Okay, that's what their goal is, is to gain a following that is outside of following Jesus. In verse 19, they promise them freedom. Hey, you'll get to do whatever you want. You'll get to live however you want. God's grace is sufficient. You can live the way that you want to live. They promised them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. Notice this, since people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. People are enslaved to whatever defeats them. I read that phrase and I just, I can't, not just think about that. I've been thinking about that phrase for weeks now. That phrase that, that people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. And these false teachers literally are slaves of corruption because they have been defeated by it. And so uh, here's a strong warning for all of us. What in our life are we allowing to defeat 
and enslave us. What is it for us that we have allowed the devil to win, our flesh to win, the world to win? What have we allowed to defeat us and to enslave us in sin. And we don't have time to go there this morning, but Paul writes about this in Romans chapter six, how we used to be slaves to unrighteousness, slaves to sin. And now we are to be slaves of righteousness and slaves that follow God. And, and yet sometimes we give up that, uh, that freedom that's found in Christ and we choose to follow after the, the, the unrighteous deeds, the sinful things that we used to pursue. We still want to do them because we haven't yet found complete, the complete victory that is, that is uh, able and found in Jesus. As we skip forward here in, in, in Peter's letter, he writes about judgment just like Jude does. He, he kind of uh, unpacks it a little bit further, but as he writes about the impending judgment and the end of the world, notice how he closes his letter in the, in the third chapter of 2 Peter. 2 Peter 3, verse 14, look what it says. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, while you wait for the coming judgment, while you wait for the end of the world, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Make every effort to be found without spot or blemish in his sight at peace. Also, regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. God is long-suffering, He's being patient with us, his people. And guess what? That's an opportunity for us to bring people into the kingdom. That's an opportunity for us to proclaim the message of the gospel to those around us. That's what he's saying. It's a, it's a message of salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him, verse 16, he speaks about these things in all his letters. There are some matters that are hard to understand. Whew. Thank you. Like, yes, hello, today's message especially. Okay, but the untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction. The untaught and unstable. Again, I think he's referring to these people. The untaught and unstable will twist them to their own destruction as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, since I've told you, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stable position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. So what are we supposed to do? After reading through both the warnings of Jude and Peter, now uh, we could just stop there and you guys would be like, wow, that was interesting. I don't know what the point of that was. Um, what are we supposed to do? Now that we know that we're supposed to be on guard and be watchful, how should we live? We are to be on guard and grow in grace. I think that's what Peter and Jude are trying to help us understand. And I didn't want to preach the rest of Jude because it's supposed to come in the next couple of weeks, okay? So come back next Sunday and the week after to hear how Jude wraps up his letter. But here we see from Peter that we're to, to make every effort to be found without spot or blemish. We're to live as, uh, as though God is teaching us in his grace to live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. We're to, to little, uh, grace be our teacher and to grow in that grace, to be on guard and to grow in grace. That's what I think we're supposed to do as followers of Jesus. We are to 
be on guard, to be alert, to be vigilant, to be aware of how the devil is trying to secretly slip in and to get us to accept the deception that he wants us to believe. And so the question that I wanna close with, it, with is this. What do you do if maybe you've been deceived by something or someone? What do you do? And also, what do you do if you've maybe been susceptible to deceiving people? There's grace for all. There's the, the, the unbounding grace that we just talked about in the series before this one. The unbounding grace of God is available for you. All you have to do is repent and come to Jesus. Repent of your, of your actions. Repent of your deception. Repent of how you have believed something that is not true. Repent of, of the sin that you have allowed to remain in your life. There is hope for you. There is a God who loves you. There is a God who gives mercy and compassion and grace to us. There is a God who will judge deceivers. And that same God who is a just God has sent his son to redeem us from the rebellion of our hearts and now wants to enter into a relationship with us. You're never too far gone. Never too far gone for the grace of God to reach you, to reach down, to pull you out of the water, to set your feet upon a rock. See, God loves you with an everlasting love that transcends his judgment for sin. God's love transcends his judgment because he sent his son to save us. He made a way out. He sent Jesus to stand in our place. And that message is for you this morning, regardless of where you are, regardless of where you find yourself this morning, know that Jesus is waiting with open arms to receive you into a relationship with him, to teach you to follow his way, to practice the way of Jesus. That's what he wants for all of us. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning as we pray? <clears throat> Father, I thank you for your word. And at times it can seem harsh and confusing. But Lord, I thank you that you have given us your spirit to illuminate the truth in our hearts. And I pray that your spirit would do a work right now that something that was read, something that was said this morning would be able to be used by you, that your word would not return empty today. God, I thank you for how you're moving, for how you're working. And I pray right now for someone who is here or listening, watching online, someone that may not yet have a relationship with you. Father, I pray that they would accept your miraculous, your amazing grace and enter into that relationship that you want to have with them, that they would enter into the bounds of your design and that they would live the way that you have called us all to live. Father, help us to be on guard. Help us to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand as we continue singing today?